So Pastor Kurt and I are both going to share the message this morning as we kick off this series um, in the Bible, touching on every single book of the Bible for the next year, which is a really unusual series for us. And before we get into the passage that I want to read to you out of Luke 4 about the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, I want to tell you something that happened to him, or there's several things that happened to him before he actually went out into the wilderness. He was baptized by John the Baptist at the Jordan River. And when he came up out of the water, we are told that the heavens opened up and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove. And there was this voice from heaven that was saying, according to the Gospel of Matthew, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. But in Luke's Gospel, God speaks directly to Jesus. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. And who of us wouldn't love to hear a loving father, our loving father, say those words to us, you are my beloved child, son, daughter. With you, I am so pleased. And Luke seems to want in several different ways before we get to our passage and the beginning of Jesus' ministry to underscore this really intimate bond that Jesus has as the son with the father. Showing up at age 12, staying behind in the temple in Jerusalem, scaring his parents out of their minds because he told them, I had to be in my father's house listening to God's word. And then right before we get to our passage, Luke, once again, yes, Jesus, in a genealogy, is Joseph's son, but really, by the time you get to the end of that chapter, he is the son of God. So Jesus is going to show us, I think, how to get through tough times, because this is a tough time we're going to hear that he's in, staying close to the voice of the Father who loves him. So I'm going to pray. We're going to go to Scripture Luke 4, let's pray. God, we want to hear your voice, your voice of love as it's given to us in this biblical story. So we pray for your Holy Spirit to come upon all of us, each of us, wherever we are, to hear you speaking your words of encouragement and life to us. In Christ's name, amen. Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, listen to God's word to you. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you, 
and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. This is the gift of God's word. Thanks be to God. There's a story that I have told several times. It's a story that I first heard from Ben Patterson. He wrote it in his book titled Waiting. And it seems so appropriate to tell it again in the times that we are in. It's about a father, and he's wakened in the middle of the night by their smoke alarm in the house. And it's not a false alarm. There is indeed a fire uh, that's filling their house with smoke. And so with adrenaline coursing through his system, he runs into his children's bedroom, and he scoops up the 18-month-old, and he grabs his four-year-old son and starts running down the stairs as the house is filling more and more with smoke and with fire. His son, however, is thinking, I left my teddy bear in my room upstairs, and wiggles away from his father and runs upstairs to get it. And it's not until the father is outside that he realizes that his son is not with him anymore. And about that time, he hears his son crying out from the upstairs bedroom window, his bedroom window, filled with smoke. Smoke is billowing out, and he's crying out, saying, Daddy, Daddy, help me. The father runs, and he puts himself right beneath the window, and he says, Jump out the window, Andy. I will catch you. And the son cries out, But I can't see you, Daddy. The father responds, I can see you jump. The reason I've told that story so many times, the picture that that gives to us is this picture of being surrounded by danger. We can't see God. We don't know what's coming next. We don't know that God is there. And yet we have God's voice, God's presence saying, I see you. I've got this, trust me. And during these days when things are so crazy for us, truly, our lives are surrounded by smoke, by fire, and uncertainty. Just that need to know that God sees us when we can't see God, can't see what's going on and where this is going, to hear God's voice, I see you, I've got this, trust me. Usually, when I tell that story, if you were to ask me, where is Jesus in that story? I would say that Jesus is God. Jesus is on the ground saying to us, I see you. I see you. I've got this. I love you. But in our passage, we see something different. I think we see Jesus in the window as the sun surrounded by fire and smoke, if you will. Isn't that often the image that we have with evil and the work of the devil and hell itself? Fire and smoke. And Jesus has been led by the Spirit out into the wilderness, stripped of every tangible comfort you can imagine, and maybe we can imagine. We've been in a wilderness of our own. But for 40 days, he's tempted by the diabolical one, throwing everything at him, to put a wedge in his loving relationship with God and trusting that voice. So how does Jesus get through this? Because Jesus does get through this successfully. How does he do it? Three times we hear, it is written. 
It is written. It is written. He keeps leaning into what he has that reminds him and helps him hear and remember the voice of the Father saying, I see you, I am here, I've got this. And these temptations that came to him were serious, they were hard, we need to not underestimate them just because it's Jesus. 40 days, he's famished. He was tempted to turn that stone into bread, but that would not have been him and it would not have been what God sent him to do. And every single temptation to trust that all kingdoms belong to the devil and not to his father, to actually throw himself down off the temple, which was tempting to prove that God did have his best interest in heart, when you know that Jesus knows where his life is going to lay down, to lay down his life. And yet every time, it is written, it is written, it is written. He gets through that toughest, hellish of times by being immersed in the biblical love story of God's covenant love and quoting those words that have been surrounding him and feeding him his whole life. It is good for us to think about how Jesus was immersed in the biblical story. You might think, well, he was born that way. He had all that knowledge in his head. No, he was a human being, and knowledge came to him as he grew. He wasn't born that way. He was immersed in the biblical story because he was raised that way. He was raised by parents who were immersed in the biblical story, whose life was formed and shaped by the faith community and being in the word regularly. And even Jesus as a young adult, as we get later into chapter four in the Gospel of Luke, it was his custom to be in worship, to be in scripture regularly. And so we are given at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry this picture of Jesus getting through the toughest of times by being immersed in the biblical story and staying close to that voice. God saying, I see you, I've got this, trust me. And not only at the beginning, but you think about Jesus on the cross and his last words, into your hands I commend my spirit. Right out of the Psalms. He jumped. He trusted. So for us, in the hardest of times, how do we get through these really, really difficult days? The last couple of weeks have been a gift for me to have the opportunity to watch the U.S. Tennis Open just as a diversion, as something to do inside, since that was my only choice with the bad air and everything. And as, as they started the... Um, Tennis tournament on September 11th, on Friday, because it was in New York City, they had a tribute to the victims, uh, 911 victims. And as they had this time of silence and um, they had a musical tribute, all of a sudden I found myself crying. I mean, like sobbing. And I was like, what is this about? I mean, yes, there was a remnant of being sad over what happened with 911. But there are so many layers to that sad. Just the cumulative isolation, the cumulative loss, the cumulative anxiety over what's happening with these fires that seem to escalate and more and more, the cumulative cost of what's happening with the air around us and not being able to go outside and what that means. And on and on and on, I just sobbed and sobbed. 
Even in my small group, one of the women, we talked about, how are you getting through these tough days? One said, I cry a lot. And I see it on Facebook, too. Young moms, they're just done. They've got to walk out and take a break. It's hard. So how do we get through these toughest of times? I think we do it the same way Jesus did. By leaning in to the voice the voice we hear as we are immersed in the biblical love story that comes to us God's faithful covenant love. Friends, that's what we're doing here. When we're on live stream, you heard Mrs. V at the very beginning. What we sing, what we preach comes from scripture, comes from this gift that is given to us a light onto our path and encouragement, actually hearing that God is saying, I am here, I see you. With everything else that's going around and all you see is fire and smoke and all other hellish thing, I see you, I've got this. Our small groups, my Facebook posts, anything we do, pastoral calls, always leading into scripture, so this is the way, this is the gift that God has given to us to stay close to that voice. You know, we have wonderful experiences with God. Jesus had a mountaintop experience with God at his baptism. That was amazing to have the dove come down and the voice of God, you are my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. But we can't live on those mountaintop experiences daily, 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 Jesus said it, we do not live by bread alone, which we need every single day. But we live on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, that comes to us through the biblical story. And this is why we want to spend a year making sure we feel very comfortable with this amazing gift that God has given to us to stay close to that voice. So I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Kurt, and he's going to pick it up from there. All right, and my scripture for us this morning is from Psalm 19, verse 14. It's a short one this morning. Brothers and sisters, listen to the word of the Lord. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Friends, this is the gift of God's word. Thanks be to God. So, as you may hear in this text, it may be very familiar to you if you've listened to a sermon of mine in the past few years, because I pray this prayer every time I preach a sermon. And so you may be very familiar with this text, but you may not know that it came from Psalm 19, verse 14. You may think it was just something that I made up on my own. But in fact, it's not. It comes from Psalm 19. And so I want to tell you just a little bit of the story about how this became the prayer that I pray before every sermon and as it relates to our new worship series. Many years ago now, back in 2008, I got this amazing opportunity as a young person to be able to follow this incredible pastor as his study assistant. You all maybe have heard me talk about him before. His name is Earl Palmer. 
And Earl's amazing. He was the senior pastor of First Pres Berkeley for 20 years. Then he was the senior pastor of First Pres, or not First Pres, but University Presbyterian Church in Seattle for 20 years. And he's widely regarded around this country as one of the best preachers, and even around the world. He travels around the world too. And he's just an amazing pastor. And so when he finished up his time at University Pres, he started a new nonprofit, and I got to be his very first employee and I was his study assistant. So I traveled with him around the country to all his speaking engagements, and, and we had just a great time together that year. Later on, near the end of the year, National Presbyterian Church, just outside of Washington, D.C., invited him to be their preaching pastor in residence. They were in an interim phase between their senior pastors, and they wanted to have him come out for a few months to preach. And so, of course, he said yes to this, and I got to spend a few months with him in Washington, D.C. while he was doing this. And it's hard to sort of paint the picture for you all. We have a beautiful sanctuary here. We really do. It's beautiful. We have a beautiful sanctuary. The sanctuary at National Presbyterian Church is incredible. It's just this incredible architectural thing. It's like all marble on the inside of the sanctuary. It's so interesting. And Earl, who is a great friend of mine, he wouldn't mind me saying this, but Earl's kind of short. He, I think he's like five foot five, um, but he has this commanding presence when he preaches. And I'll never forget on those Sundays that I saw him preaching in National Presbyterian Church, he walked up into this pulpit, and I think it had 15 steps. And there he was, this short guy, five foot five, standing in the middle of the sanctuary, and National Presbyterian Church was known for being the church of many former presidents, current congresspeople, current senators, and very powerful people in Washington, D.C. And there was Earl. And after he read his scripture and before he preached his sermons, he would say that prayer. He would say, gracious God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. I just always remembered him saying that prayer in front of that community that was gathered there that day from Psalm 19. And so when it came time for me to develop some of my own rituals with preaching later on, and I was at Princeton Theological Seminary, my professors encouraged us to develop some kind of ritual of prayer as it pertained to preaching after we read the scripture out loud. And there was no other option for me than to take on my mentor, Earl Palmer, and his prayer. So ever since then, I've been praying the same prayer before all of my sermons. I know some pastors, they mix it up, they say different things, and that's great. There's differences and there's variation, and that's wonderful. But for me, I've always prayed the exact same prayer. And obviously, I do this partly because of my mentor and who he is, but I also have developed and learned an appreciation for this prayer over the past few years. And I wanna to try to explain one thing that I appreciate most about this prayer as it pertains to our worship series. In Luke chapter 24, Mary talked about Luke chapter four, but in Luke chapter 24, near the end of the story, there's this incredible story about two people who were in Jerusalem and they decide to walk to this village called Emmaus. And while they're walking to this village in Emmaus, this stranger shows up on the road next to them. And they begin to talk about all these incredible events of the days that happened before in Jerusalem when Jesus died on the cross and there was rumors about him being resurrected. And this stranger opens up the text and starts to tell them all about the prophets and all about the Bible and all this sort of wisdom about how these were pointing 
to what just took place. All of these things pointed to the witness and the reality of what just happened in these times in Jerusalem, and they continue to walk along. Imagine that Bible study on the walk to Emmaus. And I do imagine that Bible study. And what's always been curious to me about Luke chapter 24, if you go read it later, is that though they had this amazing Bible study and the best Bible study teacher, Jesus, there wasn't understanding. Those people did not understand who Jesus was while he was walking with them. It came later on when they got to the village in Emmaus and when Jesus took bread and he prayed and then he shared that meal with them. And those two people, their eyes were open to the reality of who Jesus was in that moment. Understanding came later as it pertained to prayer and the sacraments. And that to me has always been striking because we can immerse ourselves in the biblical story. We can read the text as much as we want, but we may not come to understanding. We can read every single line. We can do all the study. We can say, what does this text mean? What does this text mean? What does this text mean? And still at the end of the day, we may not come away with understanding of truth and God addressing us in truth. And this is where I think prayer can be so helpful for us because God will immerse us into the biblical story so that God will speak to us like Jesus did. And in that speaking and the receiving of that speaking, we may come to have understanding. We may come to have understanding about who God is, who we are in the light of that, and just the truth that God is our rock and our redeemer. And so part of what it means to be immersed in the biblical text, I think, is to have a posture of prayer and openness, opening up our hearts for meditation on these words, so that God can directly address us as we do this. And God will help immerse us into the biblical story. So just as a final thought, because I only have 10 minutes this morning and not 25 or 30, um, I just want to say this. My prayer for us this next year, as we look at the whole of the biblical text, we're going to look at almost one, one book of the Bible for every week from now until next year, all the way into next summer. And my hope for us is that it may not feel like just simply Bible study. That, you know, sometimes we might just have a, it may not feel like we're just opening up a textbook and having to learn, 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 learn. But my hope is that we might have moments like the Emmaus moments, that the learning that we do may open us up for these moments of like resurrection Sundays, of worship on Sundays, and that we might find ourselves directly addressed by God as we open up the biblical text by ourselves or in community, or with other people within this church in our small groups, and especially right here on Facebook Live every Sunday morning, that we may have these resurrection moments, moments like when they were in Emmaus, and their eyes were opened, and they were able to reflect back on that experience and go, oh, our hearts were on fire while we were walking on that road. And so perhaps for us this year, God, through prayer, will help us be immersed in the biblical story so that we could be recipients of that address, recipients of the living Jesus Christ, the living word of God, speak to us through the written word of God this year. Friends, join me in a word of prayer now. Gracious God, as always, we come before you with a posture of prayer, and we do pray, God, that the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you. That, Lord, we long and we are so eager to learn what it does mean to be pleasing to you, to have our hearts be pleasing to you this year, God. 
So Lord, we pray that you would take us, you would shape us, you would form us through your scripture, you would form us through the living Jesus Christ who is speaking to us right now. And God, in all of these things, we would remember the truth that you are our rock and our redeemer, that you are our stability and that you are our redemption. We don't earn these things on our own, but you gift them to us through grace. So Lord, may this worship series be a series of grace as we immerse ourselves in the biblical story. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.